your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? It's really, it's really awful. Do it to it, brother. Hi, welcome to the Lutheran Stuff No Drama, No Drama Podcast. This is Pastor Hoffman, and with me is Zach Lesher. Say hello, Zach. Hey, everybody. So, today we've got a we've got a new thing we're going on here today. We're going to be picking up, I hope everybody enjoyed 1 John. Now we're getting into 1 Peter, as I was joking with um, Zach earlier, was saying we're, we're reclaiming 1 Peter. We're taking it away from the Reformed people who have really kind of squished it and mushed it and, and made it yucky. So um, what we're going to be doing, if you're new to the Lutheran Stuff No Drama podcast, is what we do is we follow along with the, the, um, the outline in the Lutheran Study Bible. Now sometimes we're not completely rigid on that, so we might jump around a little bit. But for the most part, for the Lutherans, they're going to be able to follow along. If you have a Lutheran Study Bible, pick one, um, go ahead and follow along. If not, pick one up. They're not terribly expensive, but they're pretty useful. So as we get in today, we're going to be discussing uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, and it's going to be going through verse 12. Now, it's not a lot of verses, but there's a lot of meat on those bones, so we're going to have to take it, uh, take it from that point of view. So um, just to do the do the bookkeeping and stuff yes this is a book that has been historically accredited to saint peter as the author and the time it was written was around 67 so you know that this is getting to be towards the end of peter's life as he was martyred in around 68 a.d the places we're going to be hearing about are pontus galatia cappadocia asia and bithynia uh bithynia and um, so we're going to hear about Peter, exiles of the dispersion, unbelievers, Gentiles, governmental leaders, servants, wives, and husbands, elders of the church, younger believers, Silvanus, she who is at Babylon, and Mark is going to make a little appearance here, so we're going to have that. But mostly we're going to find that the Lutheran Study Bible points out something good here. The purpose of this book is to instruct and encourage the Lord's people as they endure suffering for the sake of righteousness. Um, that is the original, you know, you, these these guys are the original bush leaguers, man, because look at what they're doing. People are going through hard times, and what are they doing? They're encouraging them in Christ. And if you know Zach and I, that's our deal. We're a one-trick pony. <laughs> so. that, that's what we're here for. We just do those gospel backflips, and we just keep doing them. So. Absolutely. Um the law themes, we're going to see about sin, ignorance of foolish people, perishable, disobeying God's word, darkness, judgment, fiery trials. And the gospel, of course, will be Christ bore our sins in his body. He suffered for us. He ransomed sinners. He is imperishable. Christ's death involved a righteous man dying for unrighteous people, the great exchange. Marvelous light, stand firm in God's grace. God's word is the living and the abiding word. Good news, royal priesthood and the holy nation and a chosen race. So you're going to find out that in the Bible, 
race has nothing to do with your skin color. <laughs> You're going to love it. It's going to be referred to as the human race. So we'll, we'll move into that. But first, we're going to read through uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. And then um, Zach and I will start gnawing on this bone here. So we'll begin. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ, and for the sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice through now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is through it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Awesome. I know, right? Like I said, a few verses, but there's a lot of meat on those bones. Well, let's do a quick little overview of Peter. Remember, <laughs> remember when Jesus... He, he, when, after his resurrection, he turns to his disciples before his uh, ascension, and it says he unlocks their minds so that they understand the Old Testament is all about him. Right? Right. And, and then Peter plays on these things. So in the first text, we have exile. Obviously, in chapter 3, we have the ark, right? And Peter goes along with these Old Testament themes showing, and he, he works that theology into... Uh, the New Testament theology into baptism, into sanctification, into you know eternal life through Christ, right? So Absolutely. When he opens up here, it says, "Peter, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to those who are elect exiles." He's playing on the uh, exile of Israel in the Old Testament. This would be Jeremiah and. And Ezekiel are the mm -hmm. major prophets at this time. But he plays on that, but in a good way. Theirs was a negative way. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were bad. Yeah. They were really, really bad. Things were tough. 
But he's using it, he's taking it, he's turning it, right, to the positive. You're exiled for a good thing, for Christ. Yeah, it, it may not seem like a, it may not seem like a party, but it's always better to, um, to be the group that serve in heaven rather than rule in hell. So, yeah, being, being dispersed here, a lot of these people being uh, apart and everything, uh, what was the, uh, you know, those, uh, the important, they were witnesses, those living, you know, uh, he would even, the dispersion of those living away from their true home, the dispersion there, the diaspora, as it is in Greek, and you made a good point about the Old Testament diaspora, because we remember, why were they dispersed? Well, because they were, God dispersed them. And so they were, he was saying, no, guys, I'm serious. <laughs> Seriously. Well, I mean, they, yeah, they got to the point of, of worshiping, you know, every idol, sacrificing their children, and God's just like, you know what, enough is enough. I, I mean, Isaiah, when people read Isaiah, they're like, why is he so much better than, you know, Jeremiah or Ezekiel? Well, things hadn't escalated that bad yet. You right. know what I mean? Things were not that far out of control. So you had so much more gospel and a little less law, you know. But then by the time you get to Ezekiel, it's like, man, God's like, I'm going to burn the place down. You all got messed up. <laughs> I'm going to burn the place down. You know what? There's rats in there. There's only one way to get rid of rats. <laughs> Same way that people will justifiably get rid of spiders. <laughs> Hey, you've got spiders. What should we do? You mean what kind of gasoline should we use? Uh, <laughs> so the, these are dispersed because of their faithfulness to the gospel. While while the exiles in the Old Testament are dispersed because of their faithlessness. Yeah, their unfaithfulness is really what their their separation from God, and these separation is the separation from the world. So that's uh, that's actually a very special uh, place to be in, and uh, and it's good. Just textual notes. Peter identifies himself as the author. That's helpful. <laughs> so um, when people when they say, "Well, tradition holds it that Peter wrote it," why? Because uh, he signed it. <laughs> hey guys, it's me, Peter. Hey, and there, yeah. So who do you think wrote it? Pretty sure it was Peter. Well, and, and like Paul, he's making his mark. Hey, I'm an apostle too, right? I have the authority to tell you stuff. Yeah, that is important actually in first century. Apostolic, um, apostolic witness was the witness we were told to conform ourselves to. Not to the super apostles, not to these people saying, I am the Christ, I am he, I am he. So it's an important theological point he's making to say, look... I'm part of the apostoloi. I am the sent out of Jesus Christ or from Jesus Christ. Uh, and so that is his... And by the way, Paul uses the exact same authority that we use to say that the message that we have is from Jesus Christ. Zach and I aren't just, you know, consulting the crystal ball and coming up with this stuff. Uh, what you're getting is a biblical witness that is trustworthy and it's from Jesus Christ and our what we say can be checked in the scriptures so when you say you know I'm sent out of Jesus Christ yes he was an apostle but 
Even though I'm not an apostle, I do bear witness to the truth of what I have not seen but believe. Oh, man. Yeah, we don't have anything new. Again, one trick pony. Yep, one trick. So, we, we, we got these words of Jesus, you know, or the words of the Spirit, too, you know, like Peter speaking here. Absolutely. So, um, and, and Peter goes on, according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit. Huh, look at that. Who's sanctifying there, uh, Pastor Hoffman? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's almost like Peter had read Luther's catechism. <laughs> I know that's bad that's bad but you know the truth of the matter is is and again Paul is going to um Paul is going to be uh saying the same thing that Peter's saying as far as um uh the foreknowledge and stuff like that that and we know that those who love God and all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose you know when Paul in in Romans 8:28 is talking about this kind of stuff. He's also talking about God's... Uh, what What does God know? Well, he knows according to what he has promised to know. You know, what he's promised us that he will know. So, um, the foreknowledge thing uh, is is a problem for the Reformed. And I think this is why we're taking First uh, Peter back. Is because you have to understand that God's foreknowledge of things has no bearing on the Christian life, the Christian mission, the uh, the proclamation of the gospel. Zach should still teach his children the scriptures, as should I. Uh, you know, this kind of stuff. And so people really get hung up on that. But as is the one trick pony of the Lutheran stuff, no drama, is to say, keep it pointed at Jesus, not going, gee, I wonder if God knows that I'm going to fall away or not well yeah but get over it <laughs> so you know what he knows you know, everything while we're, while we're on the foreknowledge let me bump in our confessions just for a second and i'll try and keep this very new thread. so we deny predeterminism yes that's that's sort of like fate okay so <laughs> predetermined is like fated and and the way the, re the reform used foreknowledge is like fate. You're either fated to heaven or you're fated to hell. That's not that's not the point of foreknowledge. The, 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 the point is like, hey, you are foreknown. It's like extra gospel goodness. Right. You're right? not. You're like not. God knows from the, be the beginning, from the end, but that doesn't mean like don't go to work tomorrow because you're commanded to do that, you know? Right. So, yeah, while we're talking about that, Lutherans, confessional Lutherans, we deny predeterminism. Uh, the only thing I can think of is fate to, to kind of make that understandable term. Well, there's a lot of there's a lot of hidden God stuff that people are trying to uh, disclose, and and there's there's you just need to stay away from that because if God if you, if we make the statement, God knows who's going to heaven and who's going to hell, right? I mean. The answer is yes, but what do we say beyond that? Nothing. That is a period at the end of that. Leave it alone. Don't sit there and go, I wonder, you know, if I could get him to tell me. <laughs> well, I would actually throw extra gospel on there. Jesus does say in Revelation and in other places that, you know, like, like Jezebel, right? Who's he, he, he's using Jezebel from the Old Testament as a 
a type, right, to talk about this this uh, lady who's leading the church into sexual sins. He says, I threw her on a sickbed that she might, what, repent. Repent, right? yeah. Yeah, so it's not like God saying, like, he, he, I know you're going to hell. No, he's still working on these people. He's still trying to change hearts and minds and, and, and bring them to faith. Well, actually, that's actually something we're going to get into. Um, on this is the work of the, um, when people are saying, you know, what is, you know, for the foreknowledge of God stuff. So this is why we always share the gospel with people. God does use means to reach people. And so um, for people who don't believe, well, it's going to seem like nagging. But the gospel thing that Zach pointed out, and this is really important for Lutherans to hear this, is he's pointing out that God is that shepherd that's going after the sheep. And that he is, he does know this. He does know that, hey, this guy is not believing. He is not, He is struggling. And so what does he do? He sends somebody with the word of God to him. And so it, it is an important thing when you talk about foreknowledge to remember that the chief thing in this knowledge is Jesus Christ. And it's going to say straight up that he's for all. So and we'll get into that later, but I'm starting to jump ahead. But Zach got me all excited about that and talking about the gospel I, and I foreknowledge. I the weeds. Yes, I, I apologize. I did. Uh, but I want to talk about the next word, for obedience to Jesus Christ. So I think we need to cross out the word obedience because it's so badly translated, right? It should be for the faithful in Jesus Christ. Oh, oh okay, I got you there. Um, I would have to, okay, here's where I'm going to just admit something. I did not look at the Greek on this one. And because I normally don't um, get too much into that. Um, Let's see, but, um, uh, oh, there's even a different, um, hold on a second, nah, 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 nah. verse, verse two, yeah, it's verse two, does he refer to them? Peter uses a lot of obey talk, he uses it when he talks about the spirits too, right, because they did formally not obey, but really it's because they formally did not believe in the days of Noah, yeah. right, so, I mean, that's the thing is is we can't always read the English and think okay this is um, we, we we don't want to read the English as as in like a Western minded 2019 you know way of reading the Bible we want to read the context and and get uh, the understanding of what Peter's actually saying at the time Peter's writing this uh-huh um. Yeah, the, the hupa koen is, um, you know, the term of obedience are the ones who uh, are the ones who hear and trust in God. And um, so you want to be sure not to say that. Am I Christianing enough today? No, what the, what the term of obedience are the ones that have heard the word of the Lord and believed. And so you, you, your, your, your word to translate that as for the faithful is, um, is very, is very appropriate to the, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling, uh, with his blood. Uh, absolutely. These are the faith in the people that hold their, 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 all of their hopes are in, are in the crucifixion and resurrection. So yeah, there's, because 
That's an Old Testament-y term to say for the sprinkling with his blood to talk about the mercy seat. And so the place where forgiveness occurs. And of course, if that doesn't take you to the cross, we have not done our Bush League job. Yeah. <laughs> not only the mercy seat, but, but when, the, uh, when the Old Testament, uh, when the covenant, when the Old Covenant was made with Israel, they were sprinkled with the blood of the, the uh, bull. Absolutely. Right? And, and so now, how you got to tell me, how is this blood sprinkling applied to me? Right. And how so, is Peter going to apply this? Well, it certainly isn't in our works. If any time you mention sprinkling of blood, obedience can't be thought of as what I'm doing for Jesus. And Peter does a good job here. Of, he'll mention obedience, but he points us to the work of Jesus Christ. So um, you don't say, yeah, I... It's a good thing that I helped out in that sprinkling of blood or something like that. The The cross was something that Jesus was so horribly and terribly alone. But I thank God that he was because that means you and I are not alone. Amen and amen. One thing I want to point out quick before we move on is the kind of uh, opening, the Trinitarian formula here, the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit to the faithfulness, I'm going to say faithfulness instead of obedience, to Jesus Christ and for the sprinkling with the blood. What a perfect Trinitarian way to speak, right? Yeah. Well, you have you have the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Son right there. And um, and you do. You get a great... And the, the Lutheran Study Bible actually has a neat little blurb about that. So... If you're following along with this, be sure to look up uh, verse two in there, and there's a neat there's a neat statement on the on the Trinity. So now the next section, uh, by the way, he does have his may grace and peace be multiplied to you. You know, and also with you. Yeah, <laughs> certainly, <laughs> because there's um there's what a great opening to a letter. He just. You know, Peter is good at just dishing out the good stuff first. You know, he didn't. He um. He doesn't. He doesn't. Uh, he doesn't. He doesn't drip it in. He goes here. You go. Opens the floodgate. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, yeah. And within that, he hits the Trinity. He hits uh, Babylonian exile, right? And he hits the uh, sprinkling with the ball. <laughs> That's the opening. So, yeah. you, you know, we can expect a lot from Peter theologically as far as uh, setting us Bush League fellows straight. Well, which is a good thing because, again, he's the one we call on to set us straight in this book. Not me, not my uh, not my brain because he works for Jesus and he put this down. Um, and he'll even, he'll even nail it again in verse 3 uh, because... Uh, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Um, right at, right away, okay, we've, we've talked about the Trinity. We've talked about the work of Christ on the cross. And then what does he do now? Uh-oh, sacraments! <laughs> he starts jumping in. To say, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again. Well, this is the conversation Jesus had with Nicodemus. How can one be born again? I'm going to say that this goes up to to Jesus Christ. 
Christ and the sprinkling of his blood. This is how it's applied, right? Mm -hmm. In the baptism. Sure. Um, yeah, and it's not some mystical way. <laughs> so, well, by the way, this here being born again is really important to take it away from the people who say that my exception of accepting of Jesus is my born again moment or something like that. When Jesus would write to your face, refute that, he would say, I want you to read what, what is written about with my conversation with Nicodemus. Instead of looking for some mystical experience, read how I talk to you, him about baptism. And, and, for, and for, for Lutherans out there, be weary when you talk to a Christian and that says, I am a born-again Christian, because they don't mean what you might think they mean. Yeah, Zach and I... They don't mean I'm baptized. Zach and I hold our thumbs up and go, we are baptized too, and then they look at us really yeah. weird. <laughs> And they're looking at us like like we're insane and we're high-fiving. Yeah, like, <laughs> you'll get the look of, oh, you're one of those works righteousness guys. But, but what, what I want to point out in everything you just read is where are you and where are me in any of this doing of the doing here? We're the ones that are laying down dead and Jesus is the one bringing us to life. Um, you know, because again, he causes us to be born again. And don't you love this? To a living hope. Uh, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So, uh, you know, Paul's letter in baptism is, the, is, the, is our born-again moment. The baptism that we have is the same baptism that Jesus received, and that means that his, and like you talked about the sprinkling of the blood, in baptism we die to death like his, and on account of his resurrection, we will have a resurrection like his. All of that is made promised in baptism. So, I mean, Peter is just dropping bombs, man. Grace bombs. Grace bombs. <laughs> grace bombs. <laughs> Here, have some grace. Boom. And it's so amazing that we announce it's a grace bomb, and so many people see it and they run. Yeah, well, because they, they see the word obedience, right? Or they see exile. And then... You have to understand all the text and context and, you know, where the writer's coming from. I, I think we covered that with, with John and his cyclical writing, right? Yeah. How Paul talks about the flesh. Now we're we're dealing with Peter and, and the Holy Spirit. What's cool about this is the Holy Spirit, you know, who's writing behind these guys, you know, we, we gave them their humanness, you know, mm -hmm. in their writing. So we can kind of see their personality, you know, uh, through the Holy Spirit's work, we can still see the person in the text. Absolutely. Oh, sure. And that's one of the amazing things is um, very different personality types wrote the Bible, and yet we come away uh, with the same message. You know, if you're reading the text honestly, you're, you're getting the same message. But if you're trying to uh, piecemeal it or cafeteria, cafeteriaize the scriptures you're going to get a million different things. And so, and if we look at Peter saying, well, Peter wasn't some loner out in the desert. You know, he knew Paul. He knew Jesus. And so it shouldn't surprise us when they use their own personality but say the same thing. It shouldn't surprise us at all. 
first four, when he says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, then he uses the word undefiled. Again, this is an Old Testament word, defiled. Yes. Undefiled is the difference between clean and unclean. Yep. Ceremonial Levitical law stuff here. No blemish or spot on the sacrificial animal. Nothing. Yeah, I mean, he's just, dude, I mean, right out the gate, right? We're in verse four, and he's hit like four Old Testament points and, and showed he's, he's using these words on purpose. Yes. Right? So, I mean, he's just killing it with gospel bobs and, and, and working in, you know, the Old Testament to show Christ through all of it. It's, oh. it's, it's so neatly woven right oh well uh i love it because um now here's my own little axe i'll grind it for a second then i'll get off it but um to say that this grace that he's talking about that we receive in baptism is something that's unfading your baptism doesn't wear off people um you don't you don't say well i need another baptism because what is what you were given in baptism wasn't just plain water but you were given uh, water in, with the command in the word of God that says that there is a promise here. And, um, and so when I love how he says it doesn't fade. You know, it's as fresh as it's, it's new. It's language of keeping things new. And it's kept in Uranu, in heaven, in paradise is the, is the Greek word they use here. And we love to say heaven because we're, you know, Uranus. Um, is the word that's used here, but um, uh, in paradise, but it's kept there. So it's kept in a place that is not subject to rust or rot, because we know this, that our true treasures, this is where they are stored. And, um, and so this is why we can say that the grace of God is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, because he keeps it with himself and imparts it to us. See, now, isn't that awesome? Even your treasure's not trusted with you. Yeah. Well. <laughs> and it's not trusted with it. And someone would say, why is Peter giving us so much grace then? As we're talking about all this grace on grace, right? Right. Well, because he knows how faithless we truly are. Yeah. I mean, so, so tonight's catechism, I was preaching John 16 to my kids, right? Mm -hmm. So... And we're going through what dummies the disciples are. But before we get all haughty, you know, <laughs> we have to point out how dumb we are also along with the disciples. And, you know, they say to Jesus, now you're speaking plainly. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, oof, you know, 16 chapters, he's been speaking plainly the whole time. Uh, John doesn't write too many parables, you know. It's not like the synoptic gospel. <laughs> uh, and they're just like, and, and, and you know, Jesus is saying, oh, you love me, you know, or the Father loves you because you love me, and you know I've been sent from God. And then a few verses later, Jesus is like, is saying, right, oh, you believe? You're all going to run away. You know, so... We see this, 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 again, even with Christ's words, we can see the Romans 7 moment, the battle of flesh and spirit, the weak faith, and, and the power of God to keep us in that faith. Well, you got to love that. Um, you have the, uh, him, by the way, and this should be another, another little nugget of goodness for Lutherans. Remember that, Lutherans believe in the proper distinction between law and gospel. 
but let's not kid ourselves. The greatest thing that we have, and Walther will, will say this, we have the gospel. We have the life-giving message for those people who are so crushed under the law that they feel they can't go on for one more moment. And Lutherans are supposed to come in and go, well, it's a good thing I was here because I have something from Jesus. Not, hey, you're basically a good person. No, no, no. That's putting another rock on somebody who's being crushed. Um, but to give him the gospel. And Peter fills us with so much good news here that, you know, we got to remember the gospel does predominate. And uh, it's it's amazing because, um, where is it? Uh, in verse... Well, me, while, while you find it, let me make a point because you just, you just hit the nail on the head. I want people to realize that justification and sanctification here with Peter are not separated. No, because again, he doesn't he doesn't question. Uh, it's it's not as systematic as that. Because remember, one of the things that Lutherans are that Paul and John and Peter all were is our our theology is very Semitic. You've got to remember that we're not just um, um, scholastics trying to put everything pin it down like a bug on a board you know there's there's ways that we speak with a certain sense of love and passion and these words it's okay to talk about sanctification and justification together because somebody who's justified is made holy somebody who's been set apart has been made holy so yeah there's there's we have a very different way than a lot of Western American Christians think. They always want to put everything in a little box. And Peter's here, and he comes, and he has the bar the barrel of water, and he just tips it over. <laughs> and it's like, here you go. It's everything. And the people who had spent all week, you know, separating all the marbles <laughs> in that barrel. <laughs> and Peter goes, here you go. the other side of that, where they're like, I'm justified, right? And now it's on to my life. Uh, yeah. That's so boring. It's, I mean, it's just so uninspired to say that. I have been rescued by Christ. Now I gotta. <laughs> dot, uh, dot, I, dot. I know, right? It's, it's like the dog back to his vomit. It's like, to, to me, I wake up every morning, I'm like, okay, let's start with justification. Let's all over again. I had it yesterday, and then I went to sleep. So uh, we have to start from justification all over again. Well, right? that, that's I mean, biblical, because we become new each morning. And yeah, exactly. And that's through this sprinkled blood and this baptism, right? Mm -hmm. So. Yep, so don't be afraid to be a new creation every morning when you wake up, because you are. And um, so, uh, okay, I found it here. It was verse 5. Um uh, and then I lost it. There we go. Oh, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, through though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by uh, various trials. And I'll stop in, at the end of verse 6 there to say that all this good stuff God has kept in paradise and by his power um, are being guarded, this inheritance is being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So all of this stuff 
it, it culminates in you know, the resurrection, the new heaven, the new earth, and and he's saying this is all good. And in this, he's the now and not yet thing is verse six. We got the now and and verse five and the not yet in verse six. In this, you rejoice. Um, that though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So it's to say that, you know, as a Christian, keep in mind that some, that your life isn't a promise of, of wealth and prosperity and, and the world thinking you're a super cool guy. But the truth of the matter is, is, is there comes time when this faith that you have is a real problem and you suffer for it and you're grieved by it. And, um, and that's basically the, you know, the, the, the path of somebody who's in the world and not of the world. And you know what, um, verse six there, who by God's power being guarded through faith for salvation, that is so right on, what, what is it, Romans 1, 16 or 18, where Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. So it's almost like the almost the exact same wording right yeah but then we get to the various trials like you're talking about and that's the thing you know we're going to be grieved in this life and 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 with this i would put paul in second corinthians where he's talking about the thorn in his flesh right mm -hmm. and it's it, it's for a specific reason now don't come on guys don't tell me it's poor eyesight because i'm not buying it he says it's a messenger from Satan because he was becoming elated. He was becoming puffed up. And so he says, three times I prayed to the Lord to take this away. And God said, my grace, grace is sufficient for you. Yeah. Right? So, and this is, this is what Peter said. Look, you're suffering for a little while uh, through, through, through various trials. But at the, at the end of it, it's still the same answer. There is no sin that Christ can't rise above. Now, we're not encouraging you to sin, but when you do fall, you do sin, Jesus says his grace is sufficient for you. So your repentance is going to be met with forgiveness. Certainly. And, you know, if we lose track of that, we really lose track of the entire gospel. Um, Absolutely. If, if for some reason, if people think, well, I love Jesus, but he doesn't love me, he doesn't want me, you know, or this is too bad. There's no way I could be forgiven for this. Well, you know what? Uh, people who are suffering from the unforgivable sin don't really care. So, because the unforgivable sin is just unbelief. So if you don't believe, you're not sitting there going, Oh man, Jesus is going to be mad at me. <laughs> well, let, let's bust out a few apostles and prophets here on this too. So Elijah wanted to die because he's he's like I'm the last one left, right? And then uh, Jonah, same thing, throw me overboard. Uh, Paul, it's better to depart than I be with the Lord, right? And, then, uh, <laughs> and, and I mean, even Peter says to Jesus, he says, "Depart from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man." Yeah. Right. So when we look at all the woes of the Christian life, it's not like Peter doesn't know what he's talking about when it comes to sin. He no. straight up told Jesus, "Go away, I'm a sinner." Well, that's absolutely, and um, you know, Jonah uh, being on there, and they're they're saying, "What in the world is a, what's wrong?" And and um, they even wake him up and say, 
Hey, come out here and pray to somebody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, what God do you have, man? We're all praying to our substitute. And so I always imagine Jonah sort of dragging his feet, walking up the stairs and goes, It's me. Throw me over. <laughs> I totally deserve this. So yeah, they... yeah I, I, I mean, look how many though. I, I, it, it's kind of a mark of of, of Christian sin, right? Mm. To to I don't know if those words go together. Christian sin. Sure, uh, all the time. <laughs> yeah, uh, not the way I'm. I, but you know that I'm the only one left. Kill me. Yeah. You know? That's kind of that self righteousness of the flesh. You know that needs to be beaten submission and. And you know what? People will say, well, why do we have to have these trials? Well, because of that. These trials refine you. They get rid of that. They help uh, strengthen you in your faith so that you don't fall. Well, if you're certainly, um, if you're looking for, uh, uh, yeah, the the trials, if you're, all the time when I hear people that are saying, you know, Jesus is doing this to me, and I, I said, you know, Sometimes you have to consider that Jesus has uh, already told you that you're a sinner. And this here is with you, you know, sometimes it's being taken off to jail. Sometimes it's something, it's to remind yourself, well, I have been a man of lawlessness. You know, and uh, this pointing of when when the civil authorities, uh, the ones that say, you know, uh, stealing is wrong, a drug addiction... You know this is wrong. It is. It is, should push us these struggles to say, "Well, I'm here because I, I really don't trust in what God says." And so, you know, I'm not saying that everything the civil authorities are into is okay, but there's plenty of things that we say, "Well, yeah, they're there to protect us and to tell us this isn't okay." And you know, so anyway. Um, well, that, that hits the nail on the market. If people want to hear more of our ramblings on this, go back and check out our Romans 5 podcast. Yeah. I feel like I've rambled on this one before. Um, so, you know, testing the verse 7, testing the genuineness of this, you know, your faith, uh, and even saying that gold is tested by fire, and, and, and so obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls... So, remember, how are we saved? Well, by faith. Not by um, the outcome of faith. Peter just says it straight out. It's not some weird theological um, uh, hyperbole. He's saying the outcome of your faith is the salvation of your soul. Okay? This is why you enjoy that, is faith in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for you, you know, all this stuff that the count, the whole counsel of God is true. And this is what faith means. We don't have faith in our faith, because some people do that. But we certainly have faith in Jesus Christ. And the, the outcome is salvation. Um, rescue. So, I don't know. I, I love that part. Yeah, and I'll point people to the parable of the sower. Hat tip there. You know, Jesus says... These believe for a little while, but in a time of testing, right, mm -hmm. then they fell away. So testing is a good thing. It, it, it Iron sharpens iron. It refines us. It, here's the problem. If we have an idol in our life, right, what does the Lord have to do to, to get us? Since this is, I mean, it, as we can clearly see from all this text, it's God doing the doing. What must he do for our good? 
It's, well, a, it's like a kid with a, with a knife. He's got to take it away, right? Certainly. This is where he commands the law to us, to where he, uh, sometimes he, well, it's usually mirroring us and saying, look, you know, trials come as a way to say, you know, hey, you know what, you, you're, you're, uh, you've fallen away. Your old man is running the ship. And so, yeah, these trials that, you know, this is him slapping you, going, hey, wake up! So, yeah, I got... Uh, and, and that's the thing, you know, God will take away. He will strip you of your idolatry. Um, he is the one that repents us. He, he is doing all the work, honestly. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that, right? Just, well, just hang on for that ride and you're good, right? Well, we should be saying, when you say God strips us of our idolatry, we should be saying, Amen, and thanks be to God, even though our old Adams are going, Ah! And... Oh, absolutely. I mean, that, and that's spot on. That's the thing. So if we see a kid with a knife and you take the knife from the kid because it's dangerous, what does the kid do? Lays on the floor and throws a tenter tantrum. Yeah. <laughs> that's, and that's what we do. We, we, we just drag our feet yeah. in unfaithfulness. Our old Adam is, is quite the tantrum thrower, too. Oh, man. I, I just want to punch that guy every day. But <laughs> I can only show up with so many black eyes. Yeah, they're like, who's doing this to you? The new man in Christ. <laughs> well, what uh, are you doing to you, Adam? Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I just meant to punch the old Adam, but apparently the new man in Christ got a couple black eyes in, in the process. But... <laughs> Um, in verse 10, concerning this salvation, which we are talking about, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories, and it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So we have salvation. Uh, he talks about the prophets. Isn't this amazing? Okay, because we get back to the parable of the rich man, you know, or, or you know, that he's he was in hell, you know, suffering. And, and Peter's right here saying, you know what? The prophets who prophesied and everything, they weren't working for themselves. They were doing this for your benefit so that you would know and hear. Because we, we can be talking about the scriptures now. We can be talking about the, the prophets themselves because the word prophets is is considered to be a section of the Bible. But, um, you know, when we... Well, what, what is that? Is, is fifth Old Testament point here? Justin... In yeah, I, know, I know, right? <laughs> And so, you know, and so when he's talking about this, uh, look at all this grace in the Old Testament, you know, and, and by the way, he is going to say that uh, this comes from the spirit of Christ, from Christ in them was indicating, you know, those who preach good news to you. And by the way, the preached good news comes by the Holy Spirit. So you have all these references to all this good stuff is a result of God's work. God's work. Get over yourself. It's a result of God's work. And um, so for all the people who are still stuck in verse 1 on obedience, <laughs> verse 2. You know, I hope that. Uh, we got to get 
I know, but you know, I mean, I'm talking. This is why we're taking First Peter back. You guys, yeah, we're taking it back. Yeah, Bush League. We get we gave you a we gave you a Rolls Royce and you took it stump jumping. I'm on my way and I'm gonna take it back. So you know, there's um, so this all this stuff where God works through His means to give uh, to bring you good things and He does it through the prophets. But ultimately, He tells us that it comes through from Christ and through the Holy Spirit, which means that all of this is received only by faith. And so, wow, what a what a thing to say. I mean, uh, I love First Peter. You know, there's um, again, we got a lot of people who are stuck on foreknowledge and obedience, and what are they missing out on? All this amazing, even all the gold, even foreknowledge. They're blowing it, going, "Oh, that oh, sounds yeah. bad." <laughs> yeah, no, that, that foreknowledge goes with the gospel stuff. Yep. Like the baptism and the call. And all of that. And I do want to touch on this word angels here. Because this is important to understand um, rightly the term as it's used. So, I mean, with in, in Western culture today, you know, in 2019, we think angel. We think, you know, cherubim, seraphim, seraphim cherub, right? A, a being, a created being from heaven. But the way Peter's using the word is, is prophet uh, and angel angel literally means messenger from the old testament so when jesus shows up as the angel of the lord and he's called yahweh elohim this is where you get cults that don't understand languages oh you know like like jehovah witness and i i want to just touch on this just for 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 the Lutheran's sake the angel literally means messenger or sent one yeah and Christ has always been the messenger of God. It does not ever, ever, ever make him a created being. It makes him the messenger of God as God. Sure. Even his... So the pro... Yeah, so, sorry. The, the, the prophets here are the messengers, the angels, in which they long to see because they didn't have the full revelation. Well, absolutely. These And again... This also, you make a good point in, which leads me to remind people that a lot of people think of like the religion of the Old Testament versus the religion of the New Testament. It is the same religion, okay? There is no, there is no religion of the Old Testament apart from Christ. Paul says so, Jesus says so. So you, you, when Christ says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have life and you don't know that they bear witness to me, and Paul goes into Arabia and studies and comes back and goes, huh, Jesus was there the whole time. And so, you know, for all the people who are saying, oh, that's the Old Testament God, I'm just thinking, ugh. Well, and you know what? And Peter made your apology for you. He hit the Old Testament five times in 12, 12 texts. <laughs> Absolutely. So. Five times, Paul. So... He's playing on what exile, and then he hit the uh, the blood of the covenant, yep. which he, he, he related to baptism. Uh, the prophets. Uh, what what else did he hit on? Um, uh, the undefiled. Uh, undefiled, right? Which is the clean and unclean from ceremonial law. Yep. I mean, good grief, guys! It's so we get accused as Lutherans of of replacement theology. 
Uh. We don't we don't we don't hold to replacement theology. We hold to covenant theology. Certainly. God made a covenant with Adam. God made a covenant with Noah. God made a covenant with David. And then Israel or Israel then David. Sorry, I got I got out of line there. But anyways, <laughs> the covenants keep coming down the line. Yeah. Yeah, we gotta we yeah we gotta keep um, you know every time he makes a promise it comes true, so uh, or it, it it happens and sometimes he makes a promise and people aren't excited about it, but you know that's the old Adam again. So anyway, um, I hope you know I think this is pretty much a, a good place to uh, to finish off here because we have a we actually answered. Uh, one question that I thought was an excellent question and it was asked by Langdon and he had asked us about the use of God's foreknowledge and or elect or things like that um, you I think we really nailed that and I hope we nailed that for you Langdon send us send us a, a private message and we'll mail you a Lutheran stuff no drama a bumper sticker and um, and then of course there's uh, Christopher Hogan. I think we can uh, we can answer his question because it's not a, it's not terribly complicated, but it's an important one. Um, he asks what's the difference between passive and active righteousness in terms of of your your relationship deo your relationship to God. The righteousness is what the passive righteousness is what. Martin Luther refers to as the Christian's righteousness, meaning it is a righteousness that is imparted to us. It is something given to us by grace freely. And so our righteousness is not a matter of our works. We do not climb the mountain to receive uh, this stuff. We do not we do not come and meet him halfway. That would be what is an act of righteousness. So the act of righteousness is, is Christ. But the passive righteousness is indeed what we are given for free. So, you know, I mean, we could go on forever on that, but for a Lutheran understanding, you need to know that Christians, we have what's known as a passive righteousness. And um, an active righteousness is something that's alien to us in our relationship to Christ. Active righteousness, it, we could talk about it being in relationship to our neighbors and things like that, but... For now, um, please understand that our righteousness is passive. It's something that is bestowed on us. It is not something we reach for and grab and take it and make it ours. It's something that is given to us. So that's pretty much all I can think of on that. Yeah, God says to Israel, um, I think in Jeremiah, he says, but you were just laying there dead and I came to you. Nope, it's Ezekiel. Ezekiel 16, um, he says, uh, let me pull this up quick, sorry. That's, that's Bush League podcasting for y'all. <laughs> Ezekiel 16, and, it, and this kills uh, what, what we were talk, talking about. Um, he said, Son of man, make known to Jerusalem her abominations, and say, Thus says the Lord to Jerusalem, your origin and your birth are the land of the Canaanites. Your family was an Amorite and your mother a Hittite. And as for your birth, on the day you were born, your cord was not cut. You were washed with water. Huh. Baptism, <laughs> right? To cleanse you. 
nor rub with salt, nor wrapped his swaddling clothes. No, I, I pitied you to do any of these things out of compassion for you. But you were cast out in an open field, and you were abhorred. And on that day you were born. And when I passed by you, I saw you wallowing in your blood, and I said to you, Live! Oh, yeah. I said to you in your blood, Live! I made you flourish like a plant of the field, and grew up, and became tall, and arrived at a full adornment. Your breasts were formed, and your hair had grown, yet you were naked and bare. I passed by you again and saw you, and behold, you are at an age for love. And again, we have the Christ and the church talk here between the the bride and the bridegroom in this, but my, my point is this, that God's like, you were laying in your blood. No one liked you, but I came <laughs> to you, and I'm like, live. I love you. Yeah. Here, have good gifts. Yeah, that's amazing. You know, I, I definitely... Once again, he's pointing us to the works and the active righteousness that God works. And, um, you know, even telling us to live isn't saying, could you please live for me? <laughs> he's going, live! <laughs> yes, so. our, I will say this. Our active righteousness is wallowing in our blood. And, and, and the passive righteousness of God is, or the active righteousness of God is coming and saying, live. Yep. So, I mean, our our external works without faith are worthless. Absolutely. I mean, well, and on I was going right. to say I was going to say, you know, on that, I think we've uh, we've put our first first Peter uh, podcast in the can. We hope you enjoyed it and uh, get ready because we're going to be coming up with uh, chapter uh, 1 verse 13 next time and so until that time this is Pastor Hoffman for Zach Lesher saying God bless you.